I got love for you, man. You know what, I'm what are we talking about? You know, I'm not here to start any trouble. I'm only going to say nice things about you from now on. I think you're handsome, and I think you're a wonderful host. I'm fat and I'm overweight. Just don't say anything silly. I was waiting for you to say that. I'm not laughing about it. You think this is funny? I take this serious. You know, I don't want y'all to take anything that out of context that I'm saying. He's very funny. He likes to joke around a lot. As a personality and as an entertainer, yes. This is going to be really quick. I'm not taking any questions. Go ahead and get comfortable. I'm going to talk for a little bit. You're listening to Cabby Presents, the podcast. Welcome, 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 welcome to the show. I'm your host, Cabby Richards. Thanks again for the support. Thank you for the click, the download, the comments. I can use some more comments. If you have time on iTunes, submit a little comment. Tell me where you're listening from. Because I always find that fascinating when uh, people in like the southwestern United States or in someone uh, overseas is listening to my stupid voice or various parts of our wonderful country in Canada. I know that uh, a lot of people listen to this while at the gym or on the way to work. So shout out to you guys, certainly the ones at the gym, because as you're listening to this, I'm probably in real time eating something uh, which tastes amazing, but it's like super bad for me, like macaroni pie or deep fried mac and cheese, and then hating myself the, the moment I, I finish the, uh, the tasty dish. So good for you for being at the gym. On Twitter, Instagram, and Vine, you can find my adventures at The Real Cabbie. So how did I start this adventure? I went to Ryerson University here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I was enrolled in the radio and TV program. And in my second year, I met a guy named, or walking down the hall with uh, my good friend Adnan Verk, who's at ESPN right now doing baseball tonight, or Adnan Verk. We were just walking down the hall. And we may have come back from uh, the hot dog stand, there was a guy named Mamu, we call him Mams, who would sell hot dogs for like two bucks. And that many, you know, as a student, you know, that $2 hot dog, that just that goes a long way, or it had to go a long way. And we ran into a friend of ours who was in a grade above us, he was in third year, named Steph Gagnon. Steph Gagnon's like, hey man, I'm working at Headline Sports, they need interns, give me your resume tomorrow. So we're like, all right, cool. So I whipped up a resume, he whipped up a resume, and we both gave him our resumes the next day. A week later, we're getting an interview by a guy named John Melville. And Adnan and I are, you know, we're just, we're saying we'll do anything there. We'll, you know, we'll vacuum the carpets, we'll Windex the windows, you know, we'll plug stuff in, we'll do whatever just to get an internship at Headline Sports. So we got the gig. And we didn't have to do any of the physical labor. We were both script writers, so we would help uh, the host every night when they were, you know, reporting or narrating the weekly or the daily highlights. A few years later, in 2001, I got a chance to do a Man on the Street segment, helped mostly by Lisa Bowes and Steve Coolius, who were um, hosts at the time on a, a weekend show at Headline Sports, which I believe at that point had just, be, just turned into the score. Lisa was like, you know, we should do a, 
a man on the street segment where you know you go out and just ask you know the public questions and I was like yeah I kind of uh, that, that idea is okay and you know one of these days I'll have my man B my cameraman B in to talk about the origin of what went on to be called Cabbie on the Street so I met B Brian Roy my cameraman the next day and uh, he just graduated from York University in the film program and he had a camera so in July of 2001 we went out one day and I had a camcorder he had a a Canon an XL one which I, I know they don't make anymore and we asked random people about Toronto losing the Olympic bid at the uh, for the 2008 Summer Games Hong Kong won the bid and Toronto lost or sorry excuse me Beijing excuse me won the bid Toronto lost so I got an editor to cut cut it up and I put it on a videotape and I gave it to the boss Anthony Ciccioni he watched it he's like eh, do another one so a few days later we went out and we did another one about the national anthem being played before sporting events and if this tradition should continue. Because once you leave high school, you never, you rarely hear the national anthem unless it's like Remembrance Day, maybe you'll hear it, maybe. And other than that, just sporting events. So most people are in favor of keeping the tradition because it's a great tradition. And I guess you hear it at the Olympics when an athlete from your country uh, wins... Um, the gold medal so I I did the bit and I, again I interviewed random people and at the end of the bit I got everybody to sing Oh Canada and I was singing Oh Canada as well and I was singing to a baby and then the baby started to cry so I took the footage back I got an editor to cut it and I put it on a VHS tape I handed it to the boss I'm like here's the next one he watched it he goes this is funny I said so can we start to air them and he's like, yes. So they started to air on Sunday nights in August of 2001. That's when, and I, for the first seven episodes, it was called On the Street with Cabby. And then we changed, changed it to Cabby on the Street. At the same time, on Rogers, on a, on a local community channel, there was a guy doing, also doing a streeter segment. It was called The Buzz. He had a he had a, a co-host. His name was a comedian named Mr. D, and a cameraman, and he was also out on the streets of Toronto, just doing random bits with everyday Canadians. And he joins me now in studio. If it's going to be uh, an interview, I'm going to conduct it. So I'll answer my own questions, ask myself the questions, then give y'all the answers. The first time we met was on the set of a couple of Dell commercials back in 2001. We're in an office building in Markham, Ontario, just outside of Toronto, as uh, call center operators. And for two days, we weren't really doing much. This was like the post-Dell guy era. It was uh, played by a guy named Ben Curtis, who was like, you know, the Dell guy. For like, He had like, you know, a two or three year run and probably made... 10 million dollars and they're they're figuring out who the next uh group of uh dell spokespeople are going to be because they're moving away from one guy it turned out i didn't get the gig and something happened with him and the gig which he'll explain and as a stand-up comedian he continued honing his craft while concurrently hosting a show called the buzz which was seen in the gta and then on the comedy network which then parlayed into a gig on mtv 
the, the Daily Show MTV Live. After that, he made the move to CBC, working on the Rick Mercer Report, hosting a performance competition show called Over the Rainbow, and contributing to Hockey Night in Canada. This guy does not sleep. Most recently, I was his guest on stage during a Just for Laughs uh, show here in Toronto, and I'm happy to be joined in studio by Darren Jones. Yes, guy. Welcome. Take two, baby. <laughs> Are we going to pretend uh, last week never happened? or? Uh, you uh, know? I, I guess we can't now. No, last I, was, I wasn't going to say anything. But. Oh, I'm sorry. Last week I came in for a good hour, and uh, we recorded a podcast, the Cabby Podcast, very dynamic conversation. And then if, uh, we, you know, Cabby checks the screen to see if it's recording, and uh, no, he, we got six minutes of the show, but, like, and it stopped. Yeah. So, so basically, we sat in a, a radio booth talking to each other with headsets on <laughs> for an hour, and it was it was nice chatting with you. But it now, was, yeah, it was this great, is for real. It was great catching up. It's true. On and and we'll. Have a similar conversation, perhaps not the exact same one, but a similar one. Uh, on Twitter, it's at Darren Jones. That's D-A-R-Y-N-J-O-N-E-S. Are you on Instagram? No, I haven't tucked into the Instagram. Dude, why not? What is the... So, okay, so I was early on Twitter. I got Twitter. Facebook, it's fading. Instagram... But still, it's still you know what? People, people think that, but it's still a, like a very big hub for everything. No, and you're right, but it doesn't have that, uh, wa- like, the I, cachet. I gotta be there factor. Right, right, it's right. like a Walmart or an HMV, <laughs> or one of those big, big box stores that do very well always, but nobody's really talking about them. Wow, that's a great analogy. Don't you think? That's a great analogy, Meanwhile, yeah. I, I read a stat today that Facebook, uh, television conversation and, and, and interaction stuff happens ten times more than Twitter, but Twitter gets all the buzz. That's right, yeah, and, and uh, certainly um, that's where, like, a lot of reaction to you know, uh, to you know, TV shows and events happen on on Facebook. It happens on Twitter also, but you're it, but it's Facebook is just so much larger. Even though it doesn't have the same cool factor as it used to have. Well, and the thing with Facebook too is it's uh, what do they call it? Walled garden. So if you're not in, you're not seeing it. Whereas uh, Twitter, you can go on and you can search whatever you want. So it's open to the public, which is a big difference. Um, I was uh, okay on my way here. I was. Um, I saw these, actually, no, sorry, this is last night. I was on my way, I was working late last night, but on my way to the office, I just, I'm walking on uh, just the street from my crib. I don't live too far from the office. Anyway, on my way here last night, there were these two, I, I walked past this small gray car. It was like a, I don't know, like a Kia or something like that, a small car. And there's these two, like, uh, high school-ish, maybe uh, college types just sitting in this car. Yeah. It was a girl in the driver's seat, a young man in the in the passenger seat, and they were wiling out. Okay, cars parked. I didn't see any smoke, so I don't know if they were smoking, <laughs> but they were just playing Drake's um, uh, worst behavior, and they were just. It was, you know, what it felt like. It was like that that scene in uh, in uh, what's what's the Mike Myers movie with Dana Carvey, uh, Wayne's, Wayne's World. World. Sure. So when they're listening to Bohemian Rhapsody, it felt like that, and it was just like. And they didn't care who, like, if anybody was around or if anybody was watching, they were just, you know, and it just reminded me of, like, when I was in high school, driving around in Henderson's car, we just listened to Wu-Tang. We listened to Wu-Tang. Yeah, we listened Wu-Tang, to Old Dirty Bastard. Uh, Biggie Smalls. Biggie, Biggie. And, and, like, we all knew the lyrics. Oh, yeah. And it didn't matter. On our way to friggin', we used to do this thing where we'd go to Taco Bell ah. probably... That's <laughs> like hilarious. Yeah. Three or four times a week, Taco Bell, and like in the summertime, we would go to Seven Eleven every single night. Slurpee and do you remember Cheetos, the cheese paws? Yeah, sure. 
that that was our move every night in uh, in the summertime. Was there? Do you what were what were the songs or the albums that resonated for you when you were in high school? Where you and your buddies would just be, you know, fist pumping and just like head huge head nods, just listening to a, a particular uh, piece of music. So we drove around in my buddy Gary's uh, Merc Merc Mobile. We called it. <laughs> what was it? What kind if of car was it? If you pull up a M E R C, if you pull up a picture of this old like dingy old car, can't even remember who made it. We would play. Uh, okay, so it was uh, early '90s. I was in grade nine and probably ninety. One, um, yeah, there you go. Pull up a photo. Y'all, it may not be right, but I'll get it after. Anyway, ninety-one. So for us, no, no, that definitely was not it. The photo, not, you're a, at. not a Mercedes, but no, a, no, M- M-E-R, like a Mercury. I'll like send a, you a photo later. Okay. <laughs> so we were big into CanCon Rock. So Sloan, really? Okay, yeah. yeah. Sloan was big for us because that tragically whole, hip. Yeah, yeah, less so, but but that whole Halifax uh, indie pop thing that was happening in the early 90s, we were big into it, like Sub Pop was the uh, record label, and then when Sloan, who did they get signed to? One of the Seattle uh, labels, and it was like, oh my God, this is huge, this is going to be good, because it was them and Super Friends and, and a whole whack of these uh, Canadian indie rock uh, bands, uh, Nirvana as well, uh, less so Pearl Jam, and then the hip-hop side of it, it was, uh, for us, it was Wu-Tang for sure, yeah. it was uh, uh, Biggie for sure. And that was that was kind of it for me. I all sided with the East Coast in high school. That's a, that's a, that's imp- uh, impressive that like Canadian rock sort of resonated with you guys. Yeah, I mean, but it was big. But I mean, it, I, don't I know remember you- Tragical Hip was really big, and I was never into rock and roll music. And I went to a high school where kids just wore. I mean, they dressed like friggin' Kurt Cobain. Everyone was in flannel. Some kids wore Birkenstocks. I mean, all the dudes were like playing hockey, so they had like long hair. Yeah, and- but it wasn't rock. Like it wasn't like Guns N' Roses stuff. It was like. Because when Nirvana came out, it, they uh, it, they changed music, right? Oh, Nirvana yeah, and Pearl yeah, Jam. Yeah. Uh, well, um, the whole it it turned on Nirvana for sure because all that you know the so-called grunge Seattle, where they got rid of all the you know the hair metal glam rock from the late yeah. '80s. That somehow Guns N' Roses managed to you know circumvent and still be popular, but they got rid of all the the cornball acts. They got all out when when uh, Nirvana showed up. Extreme, remember Extreme? Yeah. More than words. Yeah, exactly. Extreme. <laughs> then those those twins with the long, beautiful blonde hair. Yeah. <laughs> But there was a there was a happening in in Halifax uh, in the early '90s. It was it was the same sort of uh, indie pop kind of sound, and uh, Sloan was certainly on the uh, forefront of that. God, there were loads of bands. And uh, well, about I guess it. I guess uh, uh, and, uh, bare naked uh, ladies. Well, not that they were they weren't like they uh, were on the on the different like side. folky rock. I guess yeah, bare naked ladies. Yeah, I guess. But you know, the Trouble Charger, uh, Sloan. Uh, there was Super Friends. There was there was. Did like, you call Bush? Did we call we called Bush Bush here, right? Or no, Bush it X? was Bush X up here, wasn't it? I can't remember. That's like yeah, it was you know yeah all that stuff. It was it was good. I mean that combined with hip hop. But they say you know you're you, you're defined by your music you listen to when you're 15. So that that's it right there. And a lot of it's weird like like how so many people uh, like they hold on to like that like you know in hip hop people a lot of fans can't get past like the quote unquote golden era which or what, whatever golden era they claim is a golden era whether it's like you know the early to mid 90s where there was Nas and A Tribe Called Quest and uh, you know Biggie Smalls and you know De La or you know and they hold on to that like uh the hip hop now is not real, but you know they fail to realize that everything has to evolve. You know, yeah. I'm sure there are people who are maybe a little bit older than us that hold on to that '80s hair band like rock, Van Halen and and Def Leppard and, and, and Bon Jovi, too. and they like that is like you know yeah whatever you listen uh, to in high school that's your that's your jam for yeah. sure. Um, so when we were, the last time we saw each other, other than last week when I had this <laughs> technical snafu here, uh, we saw each other on uh, on stage at Just for Laughs. 
and you had like a week weeks worth of shows uh during this festival and you had you 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 put on a really cool show you have like obviously your 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 comedy (laughs) and then you dress it up there's some pageantry with dancers yeah absolutely and then you have like a q a and then you have some of your stand-up comedian friends sort of bring it home yeah and i know you're a stand-up uh comedy fan and you were really funny by the way so Uh, i was like "Eh, no 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 cabby came out and basically the show set up like a variety talk show so cabby was my guest that night and uh cabby sits down he's telling great funny funny stories Uh, very self-effacing very humble great stuff you know the story the story you told about how kobe bryant gets to a game and how you flew with him in his personal chopper he flies from his mansion to the uh, to the building by the Staples Center, goes down an elevator, <laughs> gets driven to the game. I mean, that's just unbelievable. And the fact that you have access to that, that's so cool. It took it took a while to get that. I don't know. Do you have – I mean, I know – okay, well, let, let's let, – we'll, we'll finish, uh, you know, this, this convo about Just for Laughs, and then I'll just I'll transition it to who you've been able to connect to. I mean, I know, I know our careers are a little bit different because you were like, you host more things than I do. I, yeah, I, I, I interview, but you, I mean... I find, I, you know, I feel like I, I've got a connection to you because we kind of have come up in the same sort of DIY vein. 100%. And, uh, we, you know, we kind of do things on our own. And it's all about, you know, you know improv and working on your feet and, and uh, uh, making interviews bigger than they are. Or... or, or uh, at least, you know, for me personally, it's always trying to inject myself into it. So, <laughs> oh, I do that too, yeah. You know, like, it's an easy crutch. Yeah, exactly. Don't, <laughs> don't, uh, keep it on a two-shot always. Never, <laughs> never. God forbid you cut me out of the shot. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in your Just for Laughs show, you had, uh, uh, I was one of the guests, you had Alicia Cuthbert and Colin Mockley. Yeah. Were your guests? And, yeah. then, and then um, who else did you have? Uh, another uh, uh, Andy Kindler. Andy Kindler. Who's terrific. He's uh, amazing. Like, he's very, uh, you know, on the underground scene. He's so funny and so... Uh, how did you get, like, how did you get Alicia Cuthbert, Colin Mockery, Andy Kindler? Because you, you and I, we're just like, we have each other's phone numbers, so it's like an easy text message. Yeah, but, I mean, it was it was amazing. I mean, we're talking Twitter. I mean, I... I uh, Alicia Cuthbert's following me, and I follow her, so I sent her a DM say, hey, you know, I'm doing these shows. I, can I send you an email of like you know a pitch basically if you're interested whatever because you know, when you're when you're sending a private message you don't want to be too forward and you don't want to be too you know too wordy also yeah, like exactly. you don't have like five messages in their thing you just want to kind of get can it. I send you something consider it if you don't want to do it no harm done yeah. that's kind of the idea yeah. so I sent her an email and uh, kind of summed up the show and she said yeah sure you know I'm not doing anything right now yeah I'll do it. So that's how Alicia did it. And Colin Mockery is so good. He'll he'll do any show. Like, he's uh, such a generous guy. You should have him in here. I should. He's terrific. Boy, is he an interesting guy. And funny. What? I, well, yeah, I mean, he was, uh, whose line is it anyway for, for oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For what, six, seven years? With, no, uh, I mean. Drew you, Carey. And, you talked and, to that guy. They started that show, because whose line started in the UK, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I In the mid-90s. Right. So he's been doing that show for like 15 years. And now it's on the but CW. He, was, he, was he on the um, the UK version or the American yeah, version? The UK version he was yeah oh i didn't oh, know yeah. that oh, I, thought, oh, yeah. I, I just saw him i just thought he was on the you know the drew carey version no, no, no. wayne brady colin mockery i can't remember some, i can i can picture the uh, rest Brad of the something or other uh, there's a bunch of them but you, for me wayne brady and colin mockery stand out yeah that's the two guys yeah uh you know and then you you realize boy what a heavy hitter and he's willing to do these uh these cool little live shows around town what a guy cool. and then and then andy andy kindler yeah andy kindler is like this Every year at the Montreal Just for Last Festival, he does like a state of the industry where he gets up and, and takes a big dump on 
everybody who <laughs> All, runs like, the industry, like really? behind the scenes people, not necessarily uh, the talent, but like the executives and and the networks, and relishes that. So people go to his. Uh, it's like in a in a ballroom in a hotel at one in the afternoon. He goes, takes the dais and uh, takes the stage and does his thing, and and hammers everybody, and it's <laughs> so fun. So it's like an inside baseball thing. It's it's like comedians yes, exactly. will relish in yes. in the jokes. Absolutely. Have you have you performed at Just for Laughs in Montreal? No, never done Montreal. But you've done this, this is your second time doing did Toronto this year yeah so this is your first time no I did I hosted some stuff for them last year but this was uh, the first like my own show your own kind of show thing. yeah it was awesome it so, was fun man it was, you were so funny and another thing that uh, Darren does is these show at, at these shows is like you have a Q&A with the audience so he just gets like you know it's like 200 people in this room and gets them all the right questions on pieces of paper and then submits them and then Darren puts them in this giant fishbowl so I'm on stage <laughs> with the dude and he's like yeah we'll just go through a Q&A and then like 80% of the questions you didn't even ask you're like ah oh, this sucks ah oh, this sucks this part nah yeah. You're like, and I was like, well, what, what are we, are we going to ask one question? Like what's going well, on here? You know, what's so great is for these shows. And this is what I do when I tour universities and stuff. I get the whole audience to uh, write these stupid questions, put them in the bowl before. So we'll have like 200, 300 questions in a bowl. And it is just so fun because the audience is so interested in like, are you going to read my question? Their penmanship and their grammar and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, it's good, man. And uh, so, and then uh, one, one thing that's uh, obviously different than any other show at Just for Laughs is uh, uh, Darren? You have dancers. Yeah, I had the Darren Jones uh, dancers come the, out. And, and sorry, they're dancers out. And you're, the, you're, you're, they have your namesake. That's well. Yes, I, I, I didn't pay them, and I made them take that uh, <laughs> <laughs> title. What were the dancers doing? Like, at what point did they come out in the show? I was backstage at this point, so I missed that part. Well, the, you know, I asked the audience, "Are you? Would you like a snack or whatever?" And then, you know, I've got DJ Dopey playing. Uh, so he starts the music, and then they come out and throw popcorn in the crowd while doing a fully choreographed dance routine because these are dancers <laughs> who competed on uh so you think you could dance uh they were in the, these are like uh, legit dancers then yeah and dan the dance scene is such a hustle too i mean you talk about uh you know comedy or acting or whatever as being a hustle like the dance scene is it's tricky to get a full-time gig in that so where do you meet is it, you're not you're not a club guy so where do you meet dancers well no i met these when I did that Over the Rainbow show on CBC, we every every uh, week we had a full orchestra and a full uh, choreographed dance stuff. So these were people working on that show. So I met the head guy, the head choreographer, and said, would you like to do this thing? For people that are unaware of Over the Rainbow. And there are a lot. <laughs> what was the show about? Oh, man. Well, it was on CBC, and we were looking for a girl to play Dorothy in the stage production of The Wizard of Oz. It was uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. It was a whole... Whole, basically like American Idol, but looking for Dorothy. That's that's the nutshell of uh, how. Why are you smiling? <laughs> how was it? How was she? The the who won the the, the show? No, oh, this girl Danielle Wade won, and she's so she she's on tour right now with with that show. So the the prize for that show is pretty good because. Uh, you know, if you do American Idol or Canadian Idol, you don't really necessarily win anything. You win the title, and then maybe you make a record, and then yeah. you go away. This was the lead role in The Wizard of Oz. So she was doing six shows a week for the last eight months, and now she's on, in the tour. Here in Toronto? Here in Toronto, and now uh, she was just in Vegas and L.A., and they're doing, like, the circuit of, of uh, The Wizard of Oz. So you... It's like a real gig. That, yeah, that is a real gig. That sounds awesome. I mean, it sounds, like, tireless. Like, uh, you're just singing... Can you imagine? And, oh. I don't know how they do it. I, Broadway, I, I Broadway performance is like eight shows a week. I think it's two on Saturdays. And, and you're doing the same thing over and over again. So you've got that monotony, that boredom, plus the nerves of performing live. I mean, yeah. it's, it's the worst of all worlds. I was just um, listening to uh, an interview with um, uh, Terry Gross on NPR and uh, uh, Daniel Radcliffe, who played uh, Harry Potter yeah. in the Harry Potter sure. movies. And, you know, she kind of opened the interview saying that a lot of child stars 
they they bust as adults. They have their career, and people remember Macaulay Culkin and uh, who played original who played um, uh, Dorothy in the Wizard of Robert. Orig- oh, Judy Garland. Judy Garland, of right. Course. So they so they have these 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 performers who never sort of make it as an adult. But Daniel Radcliffe has sort of flipped his career on its head, and he's doing a lot of provocative uh, material. And I guess that that leads me to when people um, approach you in the street or when they they you know. They're remembering some of your work. What do they? What do they most often reference? Because you've almost had already. You've had like two, two careers. Yeah, my. It's funny. My so far, my career has been. You know, I define it as the pre-YouTube era and the post-YouTube era. Uh, because pre-YouTube, I did a show called Buzz on Comedy Network. Uh, I did that for six seasons on Comedy and Rogers Community Cable three years before that. So there was a whole uh, audience that grew up watching me you know it was a late night show it was on at one in the morning you come home from the bar you get some you know chinese food and you <laughs> eat the show right <laughs> or pizza yeah exactly um so we did that for so long and the buzz for for people who, who aren't familiar with it it was just like darren was like right. a, uh, it was like a man on the street yeah and uh as you, low budget as you can get, a guy and a camera. You and a camera, and you and you would just go around the, the city and just ask people various questions and then just play off of whatever they gave you. Yeah, we'd go out with a bit and come up with something. And uh, uh, But the thing with that show is it, it was over. We finished that run before YouTube launched. So there's no evidence of it having ever existed except for a couple of clips on YouTube. So you can't really find old buzz if you want to. Whereas after YouTube... Everything's everything's online. Like you can look up the most obscure TV show in history, and if it's if it's post two thousand six, it's gonna be there. Yeah, it's fascinating. So that whole buzz part of my career is almost like a long lost memory uh, to people. So yeah. when they come up to me and talk about it, it's it's like you can see like they're remembering the show, but they're remembering their youth as well, and they're remembering this time in their lives when they got to stay up late and be drunk and had no responsibility. <laughs> it's this whole it's fondly remembered. It's really interesting because it wasn't as well received at the time. I didn't notice it, uh, but it, it's uh, it's aged in people's memories really, really well. So that's one of those shows that really exists anecdotally. Like, oh, Absolutely. do you remember the buzz? And it's like old and- Tom Green. Right. Before Tom Green uh, started posting all this stuff, you had vague memories of of him uh, painting his parents' car or his house. Or right. All... Yeah. You remember he brought a, a cow into HMV. Yeah, but you kind of sort of remember it, and you were yeah. a teenager, and you're not really sure what ha- if it actually happened. So, uh, yeah, Tom Green, I guess, predates both of us, right? He started doing that after Check the OR. You like it so far? Yeah, Tom Green started... Uh, like, 93, 94? I think so, on Rogers Cable. But interesting, uh, the production company that produced his show for Comedy Network also produced ours. Oh, nice. So we have a connection there. And then he went off to the States in great fame and fortune. And what a crazy career he's had. Yeah. It's just so crazy. It can be so, so popular, red hot, fiery hot. And then six months later, it's like you're you're the, the gum on the bottom of someone's yeah, shoe. Yeah, it's, it's it's not to say that's Tom, but boy, oh boy, I mean, it's it flips fast, doesn't it? It really does. It it, it like and and to a, a larger extent, like I feel like Justin Bieber's when he crashes, it's going to be meteoric. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated by the peak of uh, people's careers, and we've talked we talked about this last week, but <laughs> it, it is a topic worth revisiting. Just this idea that you know Justin Bieber is making music videos on the Great Wall of China, and yeah, <laughs> and he's. And I he's, almost feel like. Do you feel like that? Did you see it? Like you like? Is this for real? That's what I kept. I kept saying like, is this for real, or is this just like a joke that him and his buddies? I did? don't think he's capable of of that uh, kind of humor. 
I think he's got so many, and this is me speculating, I think he's got so many people surrounding him that it's like, yeah, Justin, you're the man. You you know, yeah. Yeah, dog, look at you <laughs> dancing the, <laughs> the Great Wall of China. And singing this, like, slow jam and looking at the camera and doing the duck lips and all that kind of stuff. You and know what the difference is? Now you can make fun of him without worrying about the fury of the... 12 year old army that he he has amassed because they're starting to turn on him as well are they his believers that's my sense I get the sense you you can make fun of him and you don't get the defensive vitriol back as quickly and as harshly as you would have say a year and a half ago right. making fun of Bieber yeah. it's the same thing as when you made fun of the Backstreet Boys in 2000 you wow. couldn't do it but by 2001 it was, they they were on their way down <laughs> it's really really interesting I um uh, I don't did you see the so in in Bieber's defense i will say at this one time i did see or maybe it was even twice i guess it was once on and it's not him doing it it's like allowing other people to make fun of him like on saturday night live jason sudeikis played uh i think he had like a football coach sketch and bieber was like trying out for like the football i remember he, he hosted saturday night live when jason sudeikis was still still there and then most recently zach galifianakis did a between the two ferns oh, yeah yeah missed with that, justin yeah. bieber it was awesome and and Galfinac is one of those guys that he just doesn't give an F. Like, he, whatever, he could take it or leave it. And he just made fun of Bieber for a full five minutes, and it was amazing. And, and then Bieber, Bieber just took it. I mean, it was, it was either like, I don't know if he was like, oh, okay, let's make fun of me, or one of his people was like, you know, this would be really good for you, or whatever. Yeah, maybe. Who knows, right? Who knows what goes on behind the curtain? So, Darren, so, the first, so when there are some fans that when they uh, remember your work, they think of the buzz. He's just this man on the street. Yeah. He's just doing comedy bits, totally... Uh, I don't want to say random, but uh, you freestyling these bits with these with the public, and then there's what the the MTV Live uh, yeah. section of of fans. That yeah, I'd say that. Approach you. Yeah, so MTV Live, we started doing that in 2006, and I left in 2012. So six years of that, and we did it as a straight comedy show for four years of that. So it was every night it was live, and it was amazing. Like we were sold out. Uh, you couldn't get a seat to that show. Uh, for six months out, it was remarkable, and we did you know all live comedy, all all live sketch stuff. It was great. So then there's that. So it's it's basically like that. Those two different eras: the Buzz era and then the MTV era. And then hopefully there'll be an era you know coming up very soon. I hope so too. You had uh, okay a couple of things from the your MTV. Wait, when you first like when MTV Live first launched, were you you guys were doing like news stories, right? Yeah, you know what it was because MTV Canada was uh well it still is on the Talk TV channel. If you remember the Talk TV channel. No. So Talk TV was a channel uh, that CTV owned and you could only do talk on it. That was a license. So when M when they bought MTV, they put it on the Talk TV thing, but that you still had to honor the Talk TV license. So that's why we had to do so much talk and so much discussion because that was the license, technically the license of the channel. And in Canada, you're not allowed to just flip and do something completely different. You have to honor the license of the channel you have. And that's why when The Hills came out, they had to come up with the, like, the Hills After Show to talk about it. So you were talking and the discussion, and that was the idea. So that's why we couldn't do all the... Uh, like you guys the, can show music videos. Couldn't do music videos, couldn't do the straight comedy stuff, like couldn't put on Jackass, for example. Right. So it was very. So that's how MTV Live was going to be like that hour-long show where we talk about stuff, and that was how we were going to defend the uh, license. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that's how creatively decisions are made. And then from there, we branched off and started doing comedy, and it, it, it all worked out just fine. How do you, do you remember having to cover like reality TV stars? Like in like 2006, 2007, The Hills was really big. The Hills was and huge, then, And yeah. then 
Jersey Shore just exploded. Yeah, Jersey Shore was later though. Jersey Shore was like I want like 2009, uh, maybe 10 even. Oh, okay. So it was Hills for a while. Hills was like, yeah, man, that was going for a good three years. I remember when you guys would have like some of the, I guess the stars would come to the. I remember seeing it. I'm like, Kids oh, would lose their minds. Lowe's here, or oh you know, God, yeah. Lauren Conrad, or you know, uh, Spencer and whatever is. What's this girl's name again? Uh, Heidi. Heidi Heidi Montag. Yeah. Heidi Montag. Um, what was it like for you having to cover that stuff? Well, number one, it's a job, so you have you do it, and number two, if there's an interest. I mean, those were the good guests because people actually cared about them. Ah. You know, when we had guests coming through that nobody cared about, and they were bad interviews, that's when it was troubling. You know, we we used what to have, was one? What was given? well? We used to have like every band on the. You know, they wouldn't even perform. Sometimes they would just. You know, I guess they had to deal with the record label, and then they would. F- you got to interview this person if you want to get this person to perform. So we had like a webcam interview with this Swedish band who didn't speak English. And oh, it was twelve minutes. Are you kidding? Twelve minutes. The segment was. Oh my gosh. They're str- one, you're struggling to understand each other. Two, webcam technology wasn't what it should have been in 2007. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, it was just didn't have enough you. bandwidth. It was just all pixely. And you know, the crowds we had back then were very passive and angry to be there. And uh, and in fact. When MTV first launched, we couldn't pull a crowd at all. So what they would do is draw crowds from the ESL school next door. Are you kidding? The uh, English as a second language school. <laughs> they went. They had a deal with the teachers that I guess the kids got credit for like learning English by going to the the TV show. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so you'd have it would be the weirdest thing because you'd come out and like the applause is huge and like and then you're looking. It's like everybody here is from South America. What's going on? <laughs> Our audience is very Colombian today. In Colombia, oh Colombia, we're huge in Colombia. <laughs> and then you like tell a joke or do something, and not flatline, right? Nothing. <laughs> but they weren't like I've told jokes in front of an audience that d- they don't want to hear that joke, and it's usually you get a vibe of like stop telling jokes or I'm angry. This was like a uh, wide-eyed puppy looking at you, and like you're like this is weird. They was they were so enthusiastic a minute ago, and now they don't get it. And then you throw it a break, and you see the the person prompting the plot. Oh my god, it's like uh, Pele came out and scored a goal. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Great reference with Pele. Uh, two moments that I remember only because I was involved with them, so that's like so super self-involved. I just me saying that, but was uh, watching Kanye West perform for I think the first time in my life, maybe the second time, was in April of 2006 when uh, MTV the the channel kind of launched, and you guys just had a party. Just, yeah, that was the big MTV Canada launch party. We had Sam Roberts and Kanye West perform. Cool. Right, and it was like Kanye did like, I think his first album would come out, so he did a lot of his album, and he did some songs for some other artists that he produced for, like Cameron and Jay-Z and stuff that like that. That was a cool concert. It was dope, and I was... And it was in the old Masonic uh, Temple in the concert hall. It was like, that was such a good room for music. And I, I can't remember if Kanye wore a backpack, but at that time he was <laughs> he was, he, he was like known as... a backpack. Yeah, yeah, he was known as a Louis Vuitton a Don. Louis, right, right, right. And uh, he, he was like known for doing backpack rap. Uh, <laughs> and then the second time was, uh, I was like a... Like a, a, a a ring announcer, not the announcer, but the analyst for the uh, the tussle at the You're temple. Right, tussle in when, the temple. When yeah. you fought uh, Paul the intern, how did that even? How did that come to be? Well, that that was turning into the evolution from MTV Live as a long form talk uh, talk about anything thing to let's do some comedy that people actually cared about. So 
Paul was was an intern, and then he later became a production assistant on the show. But uh, we came up with the storyline, very much like WWE, where <laughs> you know, and you're Vince McMahon. Yeah, well, we would always like chip at each other, and we'd do sketches where we're like kind of making fun of each other. So we're like on air, challenge me to fight, and then we'll like create this whole storyline in it, and we built it over four weeks, and it was like a huge thing. And then and then I don't know how we pulled it off, but we did an hour long live <laughs> boxing match, three rounds, ninety seconds around, which sounds <laughs> short. 90 seconds of boxing is very, very difficult. Yeah, you're right. You're, yeah, By round three, right. we were both gassed, and we didn't want to be there anymore. But that was the first time we had a full crowd in there. They were into the material we were going for. Full crowd for, like, a comedy bit, just for, like... Well, for the show, right? Cause they oh, were, really? Well, you remember the you remember it was packed in, when we put the boxing ring in the temple. The, the, the audience around, and we had 250 people in there at least. It was gotcha. huge, yeah, yeah, which yeah. was big for us. And then we were like, okay, if we keep going with comedy, people seem to like it. So that's kind of how the evolution started into like, uh, like an irreverent talk show kind of you know, daily thing. And much to uh, Darren Jones's Vince McMahon. Oh yeah, just on cue with like five, ten or five seconds left in the in the oh. entire in the entire match. You know, Darren throws like a right hand, connects and and knocks Paul Lemieux down, knocks him down, and or through the ring. Not ra- only th- down through the. I, Paul claims he didn't mean to, but he fell through the ropes. <laughs> so the a match devastating ended punch. With, yeah, and it ended with like a controversial, like you know, did I push him in the back of the head kind of thing. So it was very funny. 2012, you left for CBC? Yeah, I left to do uh, Over the Rainbow last May. What were you writing for Rick Mercer? Rick? I wrote for Mercer. Uh, that that uh, overlapped Buzz and uh, MTV. Oh, in so, between. Yeah, oh, so, my bad. I had the timeline. No, so I left the Rick Mercer show uh, to go to MTV. Oh, they pulled okay. me over there. So I, and that was a great experience, too. I did three seasons on Rick Mercer show on CBC. Uh, I was on his writing staff. So you just like like writing his like monologue jokes writing or his, his monologue and like Rick's going out to who wherever and he's going to be talking to whoever we need like nineteen hundred pages of like little things he can say or little things that can happen or blah 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 very open ended writing gig it was fun and it taught me a lot about scripting a show and 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 honoring and respecting the the written word in a way that you can't just like ah, just go out there and be funny or just go do you've got to put the time in first write something down make sure it's funny vet it a thousand times over before you actually present it to uh, the public it was a great great lesson and you must have had to pay attention to a lot of Canadian politics because they're like I feel yeah, like only yeah. on the CBC do you uh, I mean I guess sometimes on on the news but on the no, CBC is right. where you hear your satire about Canadian politics yeah I mean that's all they do comedy wise right <laughs> yeah I mean that's all they cover but Rick is so passionate about that topic that you get sucked in and also, as I said, you know, it's a paycheck. So if you don't care about <laughs> politics, okay, th- thanks for coming. <laughs> so you went you went back to uh, the CBC and you did, uh, you hosted Over the Rainbow this, how, yeah. how long was that? Like a four or five, how long was that? Four, it three, was four a, months? Yeah, it was like last fall we did it. So it was like September to December kind of thing. It was great. It was really fun. Did you have to yourself sing? Did you sing? No, I was straight host. And it was like full orchestra. The reason why I went over and did it is because I'd never done a big, broad show like that. So full orchestra, big crowd, live every live twice a week, actually, because we did the results show on Monday. Uh, uh, the singing, the dancing, all of that live. You know, and I wanted that experience of like, that format of show because you never know what kind of job in this career you don't know what you're going to be doing so i thought i better get one of these 
American Idol X Factors under my belt. Just so I have <laughs> it, and you know, if I'm called upon to do it, I actually know how to do it. Could you be like? Could you be re- like your much like yourself? Like, yeah, could you be you funny? Know. And yeah, I mean, it was it was toned down because it was like a family show. But certainly, I was you know going out there and having fun with it. You know, and I was fun friends with the the girls were so lovely and 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 nice. You know, I wanted them all to win and succeed. Also, I wasn't all that invested, so I was able to uh, goof around with it a bit. The last time you were on, we um, we went down a little bit of a road where we, we, I guess, talked about some of our experiences. And I shared with you um, one of my worst ones, which is I will share again with the audience. I'm not sure if you guys heard this one before, but in like 2008 or 2009, I was still working at The Score, and I went to interview Chris Paul, who at the time was uh, playing with the New Orleans Hornets. It was a Saturday afternoon, and Mo Peterson who was once a longtime Raptor, was also with the New Orleans Hornets. So I'm there in the practice court in the, the third floor of the Air Canada Center here in Toronto, and they were going to play on the Sunday. So I have, like, you know, I have my notes on my, the, like, the first ever iPhone. I remember getting one of those. And so I'm going through my notes, and I'm interviewing Chris Paul, and this dude was having none of it. He was shutting you down. Oh, my gosh. Like, by the second yeah. and a half question, he's like, are you, is it going to be stupid the whole time? Like <laughs> something like that. And I was like, and I just, that just kind of floored uh, me, but punch I, to I the gut, right? totally. And, but I tried to keep going with it. And then just by like the end of the third question, he's like, man, I, man, I, I can't do this. Oh, no, he didn't say I can't do this. He's like, uh, didn't you tell me, were they all, they're all going to be stupid questions? Yeah. Yeah. Pr- pretty much. And then, <laughs> and then I was like, uh, yeah. And I'm, tr- I'm trying to smile and I'm trying to overcompensate for his sort of his, his uh, energy and his uh, just unwillingness to continue. And then it just, I, I don't remember what the final word was, but he just kind of got up from his seat and just sort of walked away. And then the the PR person was like, all right, uh, we'll, just, we'll just wrap this up. As this dude is walking away, like, no, no, he kind of wrapped it's it wrapped up. Himself. up. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's wrapped up. So that was one of my worst uh, experiences um, with a, a quote unquote celebrity or one of yours. Well, and, and I mean, you've got such a tough job in that you've got to, uh, you're dealing with these athletes who aren't necessarily, uh, you know, they don't have to be media savvy and they don't need to answer your questions. So you're going to pulling, you're, you're trying to get blood from a rock Sometimes, quite yeah. often, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Tough stuff. But, but, you know, when you sit down with somebody who's agreed to be interviewed, I, I find it very, tr- ang- it makes me angry when they don't give. Because part of what I believe is when you sit down for an interview, you're agreeing to the idea that, you're going to be interviewed in exchange for publicity or promotion of whatever you're plugging. So if you don't give your side of it, I feel like it's a bit of a ripoff. And in Canada, quite often the PR people don't push the celebrities at all to to be active in the interview. I think it's a two-way street. But to your question, uh, we had Amy Winehouse on uh, MTV. Uh, maybe it's got to be within a year of her death. And she was she was in trouble. You could tell. You know, she was like itching her skin and and agit- during the interview, or yeah, just like just while she was waiting to no, be. No, no, she was sitting on the couch and she's kind of like pulling out her jeans and like she was very skinny and uh, agitated, angry. And I don't know if she was coming up or going down or what was going on, but clearly she was didn't want to be there and her mind was definitely elsewhere. Did she perform also? Did she? No, she didn't perform. So was, she was just just there for the interview for. She was doing a mu- media junket, so I think she went down to much music and performed later that day. So we got the interview, they got the performance, which is like a raw deal, but what are you going <laughs> to do? Especially in her state, because she didn't want to be there. So what, like, so obviously she was just in a bad mood or just was... 
again un- unwilling to participate yeah so you, what were like the what was like what were her responses like well you know she was shutting shutting us down and i remember i started to ask her a question and i opened i opened with whatever and she locked eyes on me while i'm while i was asking the question and the look was so intense and angry and like how dare you ask me such a stupid question like why are you like what are you digging into her like no, pe- drug use and stuff like that bs uh, uh what was your inspiration for her? it was probably a stupid question and she was she, <laughs> she resented that i was asking her a dumb question and right or wrong she she looked at me and i wanted to be done the question so fast i didn't know where i'd started and i rambled on and on and i kind of ended it like i don't think it was a question but my <laughs> voice went up at the end so it appeared to be a question yeah. like so and then you think that and then, like, so she, the the cue, the verbal cue that she's like, okay, I get better answer or something. But it was awful, and I just wanted that to be done. This, was this in front of the crowd too? Yeah, in front of a crowd. Oh, man. And back in the day, when we had artists on, like musicians, the crowds would show up solely for that artist. So they didn't like the uh, the TV show that they were part of, but they only liked the artist. So they resented us as hosts asking their stars stupid questions. So oh whole, my god! The whole a- atmosphere was terrible. Like oh, it was man. just like uh, resentful and and awkward. It was just awful. That's that's even tougher because you have people watching you. Generally, when I interview athletes, there's there might be a couple of teammates watching, or you know, generally like the PR person. But it's like I don't have an audience, so I can you know I can operate freely unless sure. it's like a, a big media day um, and another one I, I had that was awful was I interviewed Amari Stoudemire when he was playing in Phoenix and I was asking about gambling on the team plane Uh-oh. and uh, and on the team was a guy named Raja Bell who was just unbelievably media savvy really charismatic a funny guy and he had told me that he would take a lot of Amari's money <laughs> <laughs> and maybe he was just joking, but then I brought it up with Amari uh, Stoudemire, like gambling on the team plane and like playing poker and how much of his, you know, his his per diem or his weekly salary was... Uh, oh, I bet he didn't like that. ...was uh, being lost in these games. And I think I made reference to one of his tattoos. And, 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 I, and I can't remember what, exactly what I said, but that just... It's either the tattoo... Or, I, th- I thought it was the gambling thing, but when I was t- retelling the story with my man D, he said, no, 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 you made fun of one of his tattoos. But anyway... This dude just turned. He's just like, "What the f you asking me, man? Game on a plane? The f you asking me, man?" And he just started to walk away. And one other teammate was in the locker room. Was Leonardo Barbosa? He's like, "What the f's up with this guy, LB?" Oh no, mother f. This is stupid. And as uh. he's walking like into the back by the, uh, by the, uh, I guess the trainer's table. And I'm just getting when I'm really embarrassed. I just get really hot. Oh, you're like, humiliated, just, like, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that he worst. just creeps up my neck, like into my throat and onto my face. And I was just like, oh, it's probably time to go. Oh, everybody hates you. You hate you. <laughs> oh, the whole yeah. thing is just awful. I was just like, I was just like, look, I want to just dive into a volcano. Oh, that's it was just, the worst. And then I said, and I saw him like eight months later. And then I, as are we, are we cool? He's like, yeah, man, yeah, we're cool. I, I don't think, I don't think he remembered who I was or the <laughs> experience. But I got a, I got a subsequent interview when he was fine. But that moment, it was just so. Thankfully, unlike yourself with Amy Winehouse, there wasn't, there weren't other people to just share in my shame. And my uh, self-hatred of that moment. It was just my man D, camera guy, and Leandro uh, uh, Barbosa. Were you one of the first guys to do, like, the comedy in the locker room thing? Would you put yourself on, like, the cutting edge of that? No. I, I, there was, uh, I was told once there was a guy in Toronto that had a, a bit like that um, in, like, the early 90s. But I, I was unaware of... Because to me, you're the first guy, certainly in Canada, to... 
get in the locker room. And I mean, your trick is that you you be, try to become friends with these guys right. within yes. the interview, right? Instead yeah. of like you know a definite reporter athlete, and they hate they don't know what angle you're coming at, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So a it, lot, yeah, a lot of guys are skeptical when they first. Well, certainly the Americans they just look at me sort of quizzically, like why? Who is this guy? But like, you're like happening? such a fun, friendly, charismatic guy, and I, I I guess and what I get when I watch your stuff is like they're like oh okay he's not going to ask me about stats or anything, yeah, and he's probably cool. He appears to be cool, yeah. so we'll be cool. And is there a difference between basketball players and hockey players? 100%. Are the, the hockey guys, like, more open to you? Um, okay. Let, Be, only, uh, the only reason why I bring this, and I'm quite, I'm wondering, hockey guys, I would assume, have been used to, like, old white dudes in their face their entire careers, right? Right. And, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm... No, no, you're 100% correct. And, and, no, 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 you're but, just, but, it's not racist, it's just, there's an element of, of it being racial. But I, I would imagine they're like, because you come in and you've got a totally different vibe and style than like, you know, a straight up uh, sports guy who, yeah. you know, and hockey players seem to get hammered by these sports guys all the time, <laughs> whereas you're not doing that. And I'm wondering what, from your perspective, what's that about? So, okay, two things. The the guy that predates me as far as doing like fun things in the locker room is Kenny Maine on ESPN. Kenny Main, the main event, right? The main event. Sure. He, he was on uh, Sunday NFL Countdown. Um, I remember meeting Kenny Main in 2002. We did a road trip to Boston, and we saw the Patriots lose to the Green Bay Packers. This is the Brett Favre Green Bay Packers, and Brett Favre and Kenny Main were friends. So I was watching in awe as Kenny Main would feed the athletes the lines to say back to him, uh, so they and the way to okay. say them, like the, in the inflection and all that kind and of stuff. And he was probably like the athletes were making fun of him, fun of him the whole. You know that those are the lines, maybe a, l- a little bit. Not so much fun of him, but they would make a fun of. Like, they'd be very sarcastic about stuff. But sometimes they make they're fun coming of him. Up well, I would imagine. Hundred percent. Right. Okay. Um. So then, uh, so th- so that was. He, so he predates me, and I remember seeing him. And and I guess a guy that I got inspiration from was a guy whose his name was Al, and he did a character called Hits from the Street on BET. Ah, uh, yeah, I remember that. Sure. So he would he would go around to That's much right. much like we did in that. our in our roots, you and the buzz and me doing cabbie on the street. He would go around and interview, you know, random people on the street. But hits, he was always very mean to people. Like he would make fun of people, whereas I would like to make fun of myself. Just because I was, I'm always, I'm a fat dude, and just easier to make fun of myself than uh, just a random person. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Plus, you're being granted access to locker rooms. If you make fun of people, you're not getting in again. I would guess. Uh, it, it, the next experience would be m- maybe a little more challenging. And and uh, and weirdly, athletes are super sensitive. I bet they're yeah. even though a lot of them are alphas, they're really sensitive dudes. Sure, I, I'm not. Yeah, of course, they get hammered in the paper every single. Yeah, there are radio stations dedicated to hammering them. Yeah, it's crazy. And and depending on the market that you play in, whether it's a Montreal or a Toronto or like a Philadelphia, like people get really nasty. Um, so to your second point about um, being I'm not a traditional reporter and interviewing hockey players. When I started interviewing these guys, like I would go in in a t-shirt. I obviously look like I don't look like anybody else in the room. Not even close, right? Unless I, mean, I was interviewing Jerome Ginla. Mike Greer, George LaRock, like, <laughs> you know, the era that I uh, I great. came up in, uh, Don Brashear, although I never interviewed Don Brashear, like, there's a few, you know, the, uh, Kevin Weeks, there's like a handful of brothers in the league, there's always about 12, yeah. at any given time, there's always about a dozen <laughs> in the league, shout out to Johnny Oduya, Ray Emery, that's amazing, yeah, so, um, uh, so, the hockey establishment is certainly an old boys club, and I feel, I used to feel it a lot, I still feel it, 
now, but not to the same degree as before because, you know, I'm just, I'm wearing sneakers, a t-shirt. I don't, I'm not like, I don't look like a professional reporter. I'm just there to uh, show the personality of the athlete. So one thing that worked in my favor was many of the, many of the hockey players are Canadians. So when I started uh, covering the, the NHL playoffs, their buddies would be texting them saying, hey, I saw you on ah. Cabby's thing. So they va- their buddies validated ah, me. Ah, they're vouching. To, yeah, yeah, they're vouching yeah. for me with the, with the athletes. Oh, that's interesting. So then not only was it like, it, so my... Uh, their acceptance of me came in two folds. One, they had a you know a fun experience, and two, their their buddies were like, "Oh man, this is like this is cool or this is funny." It's cool that you're doing this guy's show, right? Yeah. As opposed to just like, yeah, you know, four one win, it was great, or our backs are against the wall. We got got to play one game at a time. Of course, yeah. So that's that's uh, how I got lucky and how I got to formulate uh, form a lot of great relationships with hockey players. Um, and hockey players, uh, it seems like they're uh, not me. I don't want to say media, not media savvy, but they're certainly not encouraged to play up their personalities or be entertainers. They don't. They don't look. It's the only sport where they don't look at it as entertainment. It's looked at as like some sort of noble conquest huh. to go be a hockey player. Whereas football and basketball, certainly, uh, I'm wondering if I'm missing any. It is, but well, baseball is kind yeah, of it's in between. Sure, yeah, I'd say it's maybe more on the on the le- the hockey ledger where it's like a game, a serious game. But Although, they still goof around. They put b- bubble gum on their heads yeah, and and, yeah. and Gatorade, and they celebrate wins big time. Uh, yeah. That idea of of sport as entertainment is uh, is lost on hockey, and that's my big complaint about hockey is. God forbid anybody ever appear to be having fun while they do it. So, so it they're very much like a culture that is like team first, not me first. And when when hockey players do like amazing things, like the hockey culture is like they they want to repress all kinds of not all kinds of celebration, but any anything that oh, they that get, they celebrates get... their individuality. Like when Ovechkin jumps into the to the boards, like uh, like oh he's, he's showboarding, or this this rookie Thomas Hurdle uh, from San Jose had this unbelievable goal, and he scored four goals in a game. Yeah. Like some guys don't do that in the whole careers, <laughs> four goals in one game. Exactly. And he does that as a rookie, like game two or three on the calendar in his last, he put the puck behind him and threw his legs and he beat the, the goalie on the top right corner, uh, top shelf corner. It was unbelievable. And then, you know, he's getting slammed by writers and like, come on, just, just it's like just so go boring. somewhere else. Yeah, I'm with you, man. It's just so old school. And like this idea that hockey players are like these salt of the earth, uh, uh, prairie boys who they're still not, not making any money. Like they're doing it for some sort of like, it could be this or, or welding or some nonsense like that. It's very old fashioned thinking. The difference between a lot of times hockey players and basketball players are basketball players are generally American. Most of the league's American. So Americans love TV and they right. love being on TV yeah, 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 right. and the power of television. So, and, and a lot of times for these kids, as soon as they turn 13 or 14, everybody's telling them how great they are. And even on the high school level, there's cameras in their faces. I mean, the big ex- example of that is LeBron James had his high school basketball games yeah, televised on ESPN. Like it was, it was gross. And now yeah, our right. Canadian, uh, this, this kid from uh, Markham named Andrew Wiggins is going to Kansas. He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated like right now. And it's and and I just read a story last night on Bleacher Report about about the 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 sneaker war which is going to happen between Adidas and Nike to sign Andrew Wiggins. Wasn't he offered 180 million dollars or that's, something yeah, like that's that? Yeah, ex- that's that's exact story that but, I read. Like, but he can't have it till he's done college, right? He has to declare as soon as he declares so to be a professional, declares for the draft, then he can be. 
then they can negotiate with them. How do they and, get away with not paying those college athletes? Oh, it's dude. a, it's a, it's insane. NCAA is the biggest scam ever. That's crazy. They make so much, and then you know if you sign a sneaker or, or fifty dollars or whatever, yeah, or you get a tattoo for free, then and you have they, to lose yeah. games, and you're looked at as like a pariah, and like yes. how dare you yeah. uh, uh, tarnish the integrity of this? Don't don't look over here where we've got this vault full of money no, that oh, we're man. making off your name. And like, it's in, and then if you get hurt as a college guy, because I'm reading about this uh, football player. What's his name? Uh, uh, Cl- Cl- uh, Clown, not Clowney. It's uh, oh, Jadavian Clowney. Yeah, 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 from South Carolina. So yeah. he's they're talking that he's dogging it a bit, and yes. like he's waiting for the draft. Whether he is or he's not, I have no idea. But I'm also like, that's pretty smart because hundred percent. If he hurts himself going into the before the draft, he's gonna literally lose millions of dollars. Absolutely, it's in his absolute best interest for him and his family generations to come. Yeah, that he's as healthy as possible come uh, come April. Yeah, he's uh, his. It's, a, it's just so no. I find that so frustrating. And and the the conversation of like giving athletes like a stipend has been happening for for like a, a solid decade because guys are taking like little you know the boosters are giving them little envelopes which this has happened for generations little envelopes little 500 bucks here you know just for like walk around money for like food and stuff like that because like these kids they literally broke, generally right? yeah they, a lot of them come from impoverished situations but i mean just as as college students they're broke yeah as a, as a student yeah you have like your your loans i mean you and i i went to ryerson which school did you i went to u of t for a couple of years okay yeah. yeah so like you know we're you're just broke yeah so, so you're, you're eating pitas and stuff like Five dollar footlongs might be the greatest like college food ever <laughs> but, ever invented. You're expected to show up on Saturday and play uh, on uh, on ABC in front yeah. of millions of people. Plus, which you're supposed to keep a schedule that is is not unlike a professional football schedule. Yeah, and you're not allowed to take money. And you're not. For, and you're screw that. A lot of those dudes are not allowed to have jobs. If you're a, a, a collegiate athlete, if you're on scholarship, you cannot have a job like in uh, during school or whatever because all your time, all your free time. Is is dedicated to being an athlete. It's like uh, athletes that are students, not student athletes. Student well, athletes is just a myth. They gotta well, they gotta separate the actual student athlete sports from the professional ones making money, like your football, basketball, uh, hockey. Maybe the, those are the, those like, are football and basketball are the ones that like drive all the other athletic programs. That's what I'm saying. School. So if you play an, for lacrosse, if and you're swimming archery and, or whatever, <laughs> archery, badminton. You know, I don't think anyone's gonna mind if the badminton guys got a job at Foot Locker. <laughs> You gotta separate the the. There's two levels of of collegiate sport, right? It's crazy to me. It's just so offensive. Uh, when you uh, you're uh, you're little dude, are you? Um, what, he's he's four. Four, yeah, yeah. And uh, is he is he playing sports yet? Uh, very much into baseball. Oh yeah, yeah. like t-ball. Is it t-ball? Well, it? he's too young for that. But you know, next year it's gonna. He watches. You know, I because I watch the Jays. He watches the Jays, and uh, he can hit a ball, man. I'm telling you. What are you guys like? How are you going to? Are you gonna put him in the leagues where they care about? They keep the score and they care about that, or are you gonna put him in those leagues where everybody just kind of run around and? Yeah, you know, the whole thing is like. Uh, People freak out over this, uh, you know, no score in soccer, with communism, uh, how are we teaching our kids? Kids don't care about the score. You know, and my, my boy's far too young, but kids don't care. I mean, when you were 12, do you honestly remember any game you ever played where there was an actual score? Probably mm. not. You remember oranges at halftime, <laughs> and, like, maybe you hit, kicked a ball and it was kind of fun. I think we'd get McDonald's ice cream after the that's, game. That's it, right? 
I played Pop Warner football in Winnipeg, and I remember the only thing I remember about it was going to Seven Eleven after the after the game for a Slurpee. Solid. No I, concept of score when you're I do a kid. remember when I was in grade six, we got smashed in softball, <laughs> nineteen to two by a team, and that's and I was twelve. That's the only score I remember was getting murdered at a rival's on a rival baseball team's field, and then having to take the bus home after uh. the game. And like, not even getting a ride back to your own school. It's just like, yeah, I got to go uh, on the O'Connor bus oh, to, just to Woodbine Station or uh, whatever. Well, I mean, you know, when you're a kid, it's all about who just came out and said, uh, uh, was it was it Orr? He just came out saying, you know, the only thing that these, these you know, amateur sports kids, all it should be doing is teaching kids to be better people. Was it, was mm. it Bobby Orr? I think, like, this week... I, I just remember Bobby Ward saying that Don, Terry, Don Cherry should be in the Hall of Fame. I didn't read yeah, the rest of his well, that article or those excerpts, but you can't get them all right, I guess. Right? <laughs> so your guy, like, are you if you're if you're a little man when he's fourteen says I want to play football? Yeah, see, that's the question, right? The concussion issue is like no you? no to football. You can't put a kid in as a parent. You can't be you can't you can't put a kid in a football anymore. You can't. How could you possibly put your kid in a football? Period. Knowing that the, your kid could have brain damage down the road, you know, we that the, the documentary came out. League, so, of, League of Denial. Did you PBS. get around to see Yeah, it? I saw it. It was amazing. So amazing. They're, they're cutting open this kid who died at 18, uh, cut open his brain, and he's got that CTE yeah. thing uh, that these guys are getting uh, when they're playing in the NFL for years. So repetitive brain trauma is something you want to avoid generally. So how could you possibly, with a clear conscience, put your kid into football? Pure, period. So you're steering your guys soccer and baseball. Soccer, baseball, hockey, maybe. But even that, I mean, like, you look. I mean, attendance is down for kids. And enrollment is down with because it's it makes. How could you put your your child in harm's way? That's what you're being asked to do. What if What if by the time he's 16, your your dude is six two two oh five? No, just a beast. Then I'll be. You know, he's not my kid if he's six <laughs> two. <laughs> and he has skin. He has, his complexion is like mine. <laughs> I'll be having some conversations if that happens. <laughs> but if he if he be, if he like has this like crazy growth spurt and he you know he he start he becomes a young man like he's a man and he's like dad I really want to play. Well you know at that point yeah you're an adult more or less so sure but you know there'll be no encouragement at eleven or ten that this is this is the direction you should go because really I mean what are the what are you gonna get out of it you're you know you're gonna do amateur sport you're gonna have a good time doing it you're not gonna go pro. You know, 0.1% get to go pro. So drop that fantasy, really, because you're just going to have fun. So why would you pick a sport where you could actually, you know, get a spinal injury, get a, a head injury that lasts a lifetime? It doesn't make any sense, especially when soccer's really fun and baseball's really fun and, like, swimming's really fun. You don't need to go out uh, hitting, you know, playing football and hockey. I wonder when there's going to—I'm sure the study is maybe it's in progress or— we're not far away from it being released. Probably like when the world around World Cup time next year, next June 2014, when the World Cup is uh, being staged in Brazil. But I, I don't even know how you measure this. But the 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 contact with the soccer ball, yeah, maybe. and heading, yeah, like, maybe, and they do that. They got to do it hundreds of times a day, probably, or maybe not. A day, but like you know, well, I'm sure the ball is designed. I would hope the ball is designed in a way to minimize head trauma. I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, God, I guess the I ball. The ball obviously doesn't weigh as much as a human head, but there are times where guys collide. You know, you know what the scary thing about the football concussion thing is, watching that documentary, it's not the big Hollywood, ooh, hits that are killing people. It's the 
boring lineman on lineman, repetitive, yeah. like two rams on a mountain, just <laughs> hitting each other in the head over and over again. They're not big, not big hits, and those are the ones yeah. that, like, what we're talking about is NFL football going away, which is a scary thought. I mean, if you, I mean, how do you protect against those little repetitive injuries? It's 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 scary because I love watching NFL football. It's Me my too. favorite thing to watch. Me too. But boy, you watch those guys line up, and you're like, oh, wow, you're all going to be vegetables. Um, the uh, I don't want to call him pop intellectual, but one of the most intellectual writers of our time, Malcolm Gladwell, in an interview maybe a few year, uh, like five years ago, he said, or maybe less than that. He said that football as it exists right now will be extinct in I think he said thirty years or fifty years. We won't. It won't be what we see uh, right now every Sunday. And I remember seeing an interview with Kurt Menefee on Fox Sports with Adrian Peterson. He asked Adrian Peterson, in 25 years, will football look the same as it does right now? And Adrian Peterson said no. No, how could so. it, right? I mean, God, geez, I mean, I mean how, can, how can it? Before we get out of here, I know I've kept you for a while, I want to share a couple more really bad interview stories. Oh, with please, you. lay it on <clears> me. Because I, I think, you know, I've, I've been so lucky where I've had great, um, experiences with a lot of athletes in, in all the sports and, um, and but here are a couple of bad ones and okay these two aren't aren't with athletes so I'm on uh, I'm on a press junket have you ever done press yeah, junkets? Yeah press junkets are the worst aren't they like a movie press junket? Yes so you're flown in to Hollywood you go to the hotel all the stars are in each room you go down the hall when you interview each star yeah and it's just like bottom feeder Bottom feeder industry because like the people showing up are there for the free trip and they're, and they're like from like you know Good Morning Idaho or little tiny stations and they love the free trip and going to LA and all this stuff. The celebrities in the room resent being there. Generally speaking, resent you. You've got what five minutes per star. Max, Max. Oh, it's just it's just humiliating. I had a so I was flown to Los Angeles and we went to Dodger Stadium for the press junket of the movie Forty Two ah, about Jackie Robinson's yeah, life. Yeah, right. And I heard that Harrison Ford was kind of a prickly interviewer. I, interviewee. Yeah, I've heard that too. He doesn't really like it. I mean, he goes on talk shows. And he doesn't really have a great time unless he's with David Letterman because David Letterman gives less of an F <laughs> than Harrison Ford. Um, so I get into the room and we're told we have four minutes. And as soon as we sit down, we say our name. Hey, I'm, I'm Cabby Richards from TSN. The clock starts. Can you imagine? I mean, what a... So uh, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to build a rapport with this, this interview, with this actor and you have four minutes and it's basically impossible to do and they're getting the same two or three questions by every single person right because why did you pick this movie uh you know what was the movie you know filming like some variation of those and you'll those. hear actors complain oh it's the same thing over and over again well as an interviewer you're given the press material the junket material about the movie this that, and the other and it's more or less implied overtly that you stick to the script yeah. don't ask personal stuff don't goof around Ask questions about this movie. Yeah. So, with that said, th those are like the parameters. You walk in there, and I'm a little bit different. I don't really. I, I kind of. Uh, I kind of buck authority. I'll ask for forgiveness, not for permission. <laughs> so I start the interview by throwing Harrison Ford a baseball. I'm like, "What is your? When you hold the baseball, what's your? What's your natural grip?" See, like, that's a nice hook. Right. That's a good little hook. Get him active. Get him looking at the yeah, baseball. Yeah, I it's always, great. I always like to have props in it's my interviews just to give us something to do. And I just tossed it to him, and he acted like I threw him <laughs> active, like, VX gas from The Rock. Like, it was Nick Cage chasing that one green friggin' sphere with Come that. On. Like, I, he acted like it was that. So then he's like, I don't know anything about this. I'm like, 
it's a it's, it's a, a baseball. You're in a baseball movie. Dumb yeah, dumb. yeah. He goes. I'm like, well, what do you like? Do you what do you hold? Like, is it like a two seam fastball? Like, how do you grip the ball? He goes, I I don't. I never played baseball. I don't. I'm, and in my head, I'm like, dude, aren't you from Chicago? Like, and also the, the Cubs, the White Sox. Like, there's a rich baseball tradition in Chicago. How do you not know anything about baseball? And also, he's got a response. In my mind, he's got a res- responsibility to play ball literally in that interview. Make something up, Harrison Ford. It's not going to kill you to go, oh, yeah, baseball, you know, yeah, I hold it like this. I hold it like that. Yeah. It's not going to kill him to make you look like n- not an a-hole. Because now he's just making it seem like, oh, you're so insane for throwing him a, a I baseball. I know. It, yeah. It drives me crazy. That really bothers me, especially in those junket scenarios where the celebrity acts like it's not a two-person dance. Right. Where they think that they've got the right to to show you up and not actively participate in this in this interview. That drives me nuts. There, there are some like good ones on YouTube. That's like hilarious. Mila Kunitz did a really good one with an interviewer who was like super nervous. Yeah, she nervous. played ball. Yeah, she was great. I mean, you and then you see like the other side. You see Bruce Willis, who's like just a jerk. He, I remember seeing this one. He was like this British dude was interviewing, and he was just ah, oh, he was just really, just like like so surly with the guy like man you guys are both there to do a job you're doing a job it's part of your contract yeah. Mr. Willis can you answer the question about whatever stupid movie you're in please so here's the other one with that had both good and bad and I've got one too but, uh, maybe, maybe. you go for it I, these are the worst kind of interviews <laughs> so I go to Las Vegas and I'm uh, I'm there to interview the cast of The Hangover 3 Fun so we stuff. see we see The Hangover 3 the night before my interview the next day is like 10, is at like 10 o'clock in the morning so I brought with me a keyboard. I went to Steve's Music <laughs> on, uh, on uh, Queen Street. I brought a keyboard uh, specifically to give to Ed Helms because in the first two movies, he does a memorable song. One at the piano, like, Doug, 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 where's Doug? And the second movie, he's singing with a guitar yeah, on that, that little pontoon That's a great boat. bit. All uh, he has to do is participate. Right. So Fast forward two. So I get in there, and it's <laughs> the three guys. So it's Ed Helms, Bradley Cooper, Zach Galifianakis to his left. So in, so I'm looking at them. Ed Helms to my left, to left. Uh, Bradley Cooper in the middle. Zach Galifianakis on the right. So the you know I uh, so Zach and Ed are kind of like friendly, and Bradley Cooper is just kind of like it's almost like uh, he's just playing it like like too cool. Like he's the actor, they're the comics. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. So, um, I say, you know, I say something about them all being kind of Canadian. Like, Ed Helms, I'm like, you have this quirky personality, you feel very Canadian. Bradley Cooper, you speak French. Like, that's just like, you, when you speak French, the women in my country go crazy. It's great. And it's then, great. yeah, and, and Zach Galifianakis is like, he's like, do you, do you track that? He goes, no, not specifically. He goes, oh yeah. I'm like, well, you know, and Zach's like, yeah, I know. And then I say to Zach, I'm like, and with your beard, you look like you're from Saskatchewan. And he goes, thank you. No, it's Kamloops. Ah, like, it was awesome. Beautiful. Awesome. So he's playing. Everyone's in. Yeah. So then I give, then I give them these, uh, you know, I said, to, be, to, to endear yourself more to Canadians, I brought you something. So I brought them these mullet wigs. <laughs> so to, to Bradley Cooper's credit, he did put on the mullet wig. Uh, that's good. So, all right. So Zach, they, all three. So those two guys, I give them brown mullets. And then uh, Ed Helms like, boy, did I escape the mullet wig? I'm like, no, you didn't. So I gave him a mullet that's wig. That's great. So Zach does this scene in Canadian, I, and I use air quotes, where he's like, uh, he goes, uh, we're all Canadian, eh? And then he has this bit about going to AA, eh? That's great. Uh, and, then, and then finally, it was the, I give um, Ed Helms the, uh, the keyboard, and I preface it, hey, you've done these memorable songs. Can you do a memorable song for this interview? 
And then he just makes up a bit at the end, and I'm just watching him like, this is awesome. Oh, but the so whole good. time, Bradley Cooper is just so disconnected from the interview. Zach is adding the, the Canadian scene. He's like, he's got the funny bits about Kamloops. And Ed, he's just, he was really, you know, when I said his, his sensibilities were Canadian, he like, he's like, oh, thanks. Like, it was, it was like a compliment. And then, and then he plays the song, and then Bradley Cooper was just like, just sitting there, just like a super douche. Ugh. And then I got in so much trouble from the uh, from the from the publicity. And you wouldn't have gotten in trouble if Bradley Cooper had had a nice time or decided to have a nice time. Yeah, they were just like, uh, Brad, "What Brad, are all these? What are all these 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 gimmicks?" Blah blah blah. I'm like, "Well, do you want me to just friggin' ask? Like, why'd you guys do a third one? What was it like shooting in? Uh, uh, they were there in Thailand in the second one. I can't invade. Uh, whatever. Like, just boring things where they'd just be like sitting there with their shoulders." Shrugged and yeah. just like another one of these, so I added some spice to it, but I got in a lot of trouble. And for that's that when you feel like I'm just part of an assembly line. Totally, you know, yeah. I may as well just phone it in because yeah. that's all anybody wants. What was yours? Well, I did the junket for which Batman was it? Uh, which one did the motorcycle? Remember, I, I think it's freaked. A, was it the first one or second? I want to say it's the second one. Oh, with um, uh, she was naked in the movie, the drugs. Uh, <laughs> the one with Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh. oh no, that's the last one. No, no, no. Yeah, no. I'm thinking th it's when. Remember when the bat bicycle, the motorbike came out. Everyone's like, "Oh my god, the the Batmobile bicycle." I, I guess it was the first one. First or second? Anyway, because so, uh, Catwoman rides it in the third one. Definitely not the third one. It was oh, maybe the what second. The what What's the actress's name? Oh, I know who you're talking and, about. The, and, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Jeez, I'm an idiot. So she's so dope in Blu-ray on in that movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. Sorry, I okay. find her a bit empty. But anyways, <laughs> uh, so yeah. we we go in and. So so each of these little hotel rooms, there's a different vibe to each, depending on how the actor is feeling. Because there's also two camera people, two audio guys, yeah, yeah. Uh, two PR people, hair and makeup, like it all crammed into a, like a little hotel room. That's in, they shoot it like a little uh, interview thing. But really, all this is happening behind the curtains. So there's probably eight or ten people in each room, and the vibe of the room is dictated on, dictated by the 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 star. So if they're in a playful, fun mood, the room is fun. Everybody's happy. You walk in. You feel, hey, how you doing? Come on in. Sit down. You know, everybody's in a playful mood. So before I before I sat down with Christian Bale, I, I sat in with the uh, 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 police uh, chief guy. He's oh, uh, Gary Oldman. Oh my God, what a lovely guy. Oh, nice. Like he's like chatting with the camera people. He's having a lovely time. Like he gets it. He's got to sit in the chair and talk to forty reporters. He's gonna have a cup of coffee and have a nice time with it. And he's lovely. And we're chatting. And he's just a nice fellow. And you you actually leave feeling like oh that was like really fun. Awesome. I don't feel like I don't feel bad about myself for being part of this process. He was a lovely guy. And then you walk into Christian Bale's room. The temperature. The, the physical temperature was the same in both rooms, but it felt like it dropped 20 degrees. Oh it was gosh. so cold and so chilly. And you like you walk in, it felt like the lights were dim. Like I felt like I had to quietly step over the, the, the cords, get into my <laughs> chair, like apologize while I'm sitting down for some offense I must have done. <laughs> that he's just, you know, cold face staring at me, Christian Bale, like because he's such a serious actor. And, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about Batman and da-da-da. And then this, this was the movie where the, the Batmobile bike was unveiled and it was like, you remember, it was like such a cool thing. Where you, it was on with the Joker. That's the one it was. Oh, the second one. Right. So I'm like, oh, the, and the Batmobile uh, motor, motorbike, back, whatever they call it. Yeah. I'm like, you know, how, you know, how was it? You know, everyone's freaking out about how cool this thing is. Uh, what, you know, what was it like? To, and he's like, uh, you'll have to ask the people who uh, built the Batbike because I don't really know. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but like, you know, was it, uh, everyone's excited about it, the how it looks and uh, was it cool to sit on? Uh, again, I didn't, uh, I didn't build the Batbike, so I can't uh, speak on the Batbike. 
And I'm like, you dick. Like, all you had to do was be like, yeah, it had two big wheels. It was great. Yeah, it looked cool. They did a great job designing it. Yeah, it was fun to ride. Like, just make up stuff. Exactly. And it's like, I asked a third time, like, you know, the Bat Bike, you know, it's like, it's got big wheels. It can turn on a dime. Uh, You're going to have to ask the uh, people in charge of the Bat Bike because I'm here. I can only speak on uh, Batman. It's like, okay, buddy. All right, well, thanks a lot. I'm out of here. Gotta go. This is all. I gotta get out of this room. Oh man! Just the worst. It just feels so stupid. That's tough. That's tough. So wait, did you interview Heath Ledger, or was he had had he passed by then? I can't remember. He had already died. Oh, he did. Yeah, he had already passed away at that point for sure. Yeah, he had to have, because I didn't talk to him. Yeah, he would have been available if yeah, (laughs) yeah, if he he was uh, on still breathing. Yeah, Mr. Ledger was unavailable that day. (laughs) Yeah, and I shouldn't I shouldn't poke fun at his death. Obviously, I'm not poking fun. I'm just my own stupidity is what I'm laughing at. Oh man, that's uh it's just like you know this tough. this business is tricky and those you know those the, all the behind the scenes stuff to get something on TV. People don't really it, it's not not complaining at the job, but it's it's tricky to make it look effortless. And when you yes. do when you do pull that off, there are 10,000 things happening right. And when something goes wrong, it it uh, you're pulling back the curtain and seeing the wizard. I mean, it's just like it's a disaster. I like how you see you went back to like over the rainbow. You yeah, it, it's, you circled it. Put a button on it, yeah. <laughs> Call back. Uh, Darren Jones, it was awesome talking with you. And and uh, oh, I didn't even get you to. At the beginning, I I said, hey, you know, he didn't. He'll explain the how how did why didn't you get the Dell spot? Oh right, so the Dell thing. I thought I was cast as like one of the four leads of the Dell guy. I'm gonna be the Dell one. I'm gonna make a million dollars being the Dell guy. Um, but for some reason, I let them cut my hair. And never that's a lesson I learned. Never let them cut your hair because they'll screw it up. And they gave me this weird bowl cut. Then I looked. I looked. You know, not right. Like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. Very similar. Are yeah. you kidding? Yeah, it was awful. And the director was like, you know, I could see it in his eyes. Like, I do. I want you nowhere near this ad. So he kept putting me further and further in the background. I realized, like, <laughs> oh, this is not going to go anywhere. <laughs> awful. Well, uh, in a way, we are thankful that that didn't work out for you because yeah, I'm not <laughs> because we got the buzz and then we got MTV Live. And then we got uh, your contributions on, uh, we got Over the Rainbow and stuff you did on Hockey Night in Canada. And Rick Mercer got a very talented writer for three years in between The Buzz and MTV Live. On Twitter, it's at Darren Jones. That's D-A-R-Y-N-J-O-N-E-S. And uh, Facebook.com slash Darren Jones. Sure. Yeah, and, I think so, yeah. And we are um, eagerly anticipating your next big explosion yeah man and uh, the, thanks for having me on your podcast not so not the third act but just the third chapter in your third chapter act whatever you want to call it well because yeah. the third isn't the third like the final act yeah you're right no we don't want the third act we just want the third chapter well if the third act goes for 25 years i'll take that right but uh, we'll see what happens look forward to it thanks for coming in man. thanks brother thank you for listening to cabbie presents the podcast